It has been said that truth is stranger than fiction. And uh, I have some facts I'm going to share with you today, five of them actually, that are along this line. Uh, that fat, you know, truth sometimes is stranger than fiction. You know, most animals do not eat moss because it's hard to digest and very little, it has very little nutritional value. Yet I have sat in the woods here in the northern hemisphere and I have watched deer eat the bearded moss, you know, the lichen that, that hangs like hair down some branches sometimes. I've watched them do that. But by and large, animals do not eat moss. Reindeer, on the other hand, fill up with lots of moss because it contains a chemical that helps keep reindeer warm in frigid temperatures. This is why there's actually a moss in the tundra that's called reindeer moss. This moss sort of acts for reindeer like antifreeze does for a car. Now, here's another strange fact. A lightning bolt generates five times as much temperature in a strike. It's five times hotter than the sun when it strikes the earth. And there are 10,000 lightning strikes every single day somewhere around the world. How's that for a little global warming for you? Here's another interesting fact. Three centuries ago, colonialists living in the Commonwealth of Virginia actually had an option of how they wanted to pay their taxes. They could pay in currency or they could pay in tobacco. Now, for the record, most states... Uh, I think no states even actually, or even our federal government, the Internal Revenue Service, you know, still practice those things, taking taxes in cash, especially taxes in tobacco. Now, here's another truth that's stranger than fiction. If you are afraid of spiders, you know you actually have a much higher uh, chance of being hurt from the popping of a champagne bottle than you ever do by being injured in some way by a spider. And you say, well... I don't pop champagne bottles, Pastor, so uh, yeah, I'm not going to get hurt by that. Yeah, but you're not in the jungles of Africa or Amazon uh, either, so you're not going to usually get hurt by a spider there as well. Now, here's another truth that I find stranger than fiction, and it's showing up in some recent political signs that have begun popping up around our nation. And of course, they'll have both blue and red on them, and it will say 2020 on them, and there'll be different slogans. My brother-in-law last Tuesday, walking, uh, going out for a walk with his wife in Alabama, saw this sign in the front of someone's yard. You know, it, it gives you the blue and red, like, I'll vote either Democrat or I'll vote Republican 2020, but they're looking for any functioning adult. We have many variations of this. Same exact sign saying, we're all in trouble, or we're all hosed, or, uh, you know, any mature adult I will vote for, uh, that kind of stuff. How's that for truth being stranger than fiction? Well, today in our sermon series, Overcoming the World, we're going to learn that one of the ways we do this is with the truth. This means God's truth, absolute truth, truth that doesn't change with the seasons or the times, truth that is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And people do long for the truth, whether they realize it or not. And they long for it in the areas of their lives that's way more important than any of the trivia that I've shared with you at the beginning of today's message. People want to know if their spouse or their children or their grandchildren are telling them the truth. You want to know if you're being lied to at work or in a business transaction, or when you're making a major purchase, or when you're just interacting with your neighbor. If you, you want to know is what you are hearing the truth. And when you watch the news, you long, long 
for something more than spin, something more than opinion or editorializing, or something more than just a cut and paste job where what comes out isn't even actually what occurred. You would really desire to know what truly happened when you watch the news. And if you listen to political politicians debating, which we have the opportunity to do that Tuesday night, uh, you would like to know who is telling the truth. Or if at a minimum they cannot tell the truth, then you would like to know what the truth actually is. And if acquaintances or family members or friends or even fellow Christians misrepresent you somehow, it's upsetting to you because you want people to know the truth about what really happened and about what you really said. And you know, people also desperately need to know the truth about God. What is God like? What is following him in this life like? What are God's requirements for making it into heaven? Uh, why, why does the church even exist? What's God's plan for marriage? What is God's plan for family life? What happens to people when they die? What is heaven like? And we could go on and on. Well, last week we learned that we overcome the world from a position of strength. In verse 10, it said, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Then verse 11 went on, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on, as a result of this, you know, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand and your ground. And after you have done everything to stand. Remember, it's not telling us to charge off into battle. It's telling us that we start from a position of strength, that we stand firm here with the full armor of God in place. Now, today we're concentrating on the first portion of verse 14. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. We're talking today about the belt of truth with the understanding that the belt of truth is a significant part of our Christian armor. Now, technically, the belt was not classified as armor in ancient military protective coverings, but it was the first portion of military attire that a soldier would put on uh, when he put on his armor. And what this verse teaches us, that in order for us to stand firm in our faith, we must know the truth and we must live by the truth. And in our culture, for the most part, truth is relative. It's what many young people refer to as sketchy, not clearly defined or, or not clear or well-defined. And we live in an era that is believed by many that there is no such thing as the truth. Truth is relative. It depends upon a person's circumstances, their uh, personal experiences, what side of the tracks they were born on or raised on. And the popular modern way of thinking is that you make your own truth. This is why we are seeing so much nihilism in our culture right now. And nihilism, of course, is no regard for tradition. No regard whatsoever for history like our nation's founding or the individual free rights that we have as people that are part of this nation. Uh, no respect whatsoever for our flag or what it stands for or for a free market system like ours is set up where people have the opportunity if they have the initiative and get up and go 
to do and go and make something out of their lives. There's no respect whatsoever for the tradition of the nuclear family and how historically the family has been so important in the development of our nation. No respect whatsoever uh, for the extreme importance of the church or valuing federal and state property or monuments or the rule of law. And I don't intend to spend a lot of time on this concept today because all of us encounter people every single day who are an authority unto themselves and who personally define what they think is the truth based upon their own opinions or based upon group think, others who think like them and they believe that they're tolerant and anybody who doesn't see things in life the way they see things in life is intolerant. Now ponder this for a moment today. Truth alone by its very nature is absolute and unchangeable. Otherwise, it wouldn't be what? It wouldn't be the truth. It's absolute because it's true. That's what makes it true. The truth we live by, and the fact is we live by this inherent truth all the time. You know, if you get pulled over for speeding by a police officer, and uh, then you tell the police officer, well, the speed you clocked me at, that's your truth. That's your truth. My truth says that I wasn't speeding, you know? Try that sometime with a police officer. And the reality is it doesn't matter what your speedometer says. It doesn't matter if you have oversized tires on your vehicle, so your your speedometer may be, you know, reading correctly to you, but it's actually your vehicle's going faster. None of those things matter. The law enforcement officer's radar gun is the absolute truth. And all of us have probably, in our lifetime, experience this failure of relativism. We simply just don't say to the officer, I don't think I was speeding. Or I I don't know, I don't think I was going that fast. We don't say that. We might think it, but we don't say it. We've all experienced that failure. Have you ever noticed that, that traffic lights apply to everyone too? Have you ever noticed that? If you're behind schedule and in a hurry, it's okay to run red lights. Have you ever, have you ever tried that sometime? You know, look both ways, nobody's coming. Shoot right on through. Sometimes when I think Pastor James coming, I do that. So, but no. Uh, but try that excuse on a law enforcement officer when he pulls you over and gives you a ticket for running a red light. Well, I'm really behind schedule today. I'm in a hurry. I just had to do it. I had to get there at this time. I looked both ways. Nobody's coming. So I just shot through. Try that sometimes and think what happens. No, you broke the law. That's the truth. Now, and what will happen if you get pulled over for a traffic violation and you get lippy with the police officer? Back in the early 1980s, one of my younger brothers, I want to identify them uh, at this point, but was traveling up to the Boundary Waters Canoe area after work on Friday night, going to meet some friends up there, had two buddies with him in his his Jeep truck, and they're they're heading up Highway 61 right after work, and that was pre- bypass lane era up there that was pre any freeways going on up there on a Friday night you get behind campers and trucks and I mean it was piled up and he saw an opening and he jumped out shot by these vehicles pulls back into his lane and he notices a state patrol officer sitting on the hill Woo! you know the lights come on pull him over and the officer the first thing he says when he comes up to the car young man do you realize you just passed six consecutive cars and my brother says, no, officer, I thought it was seven. <laughs> <laughs> Wrong answer. And that was the day's 
before credit cards and they could access that stuff. And when you're a non-resident, out-of-state resident, you've got to pay for that ticket right on the spot. Literally all three of them, their wallets got drained. 95 bucks. That's what they had on them. Guess what their ticket cost them? 95 bucks. Okay, they couldn't even stay that first night in a campground where they were going to stay before they went into the Boundary Waters the next day. They had to sleep in their sleeping bags with no tents because the group already had the tents up there. They had to sleep in their sleeping bags on the baseball field of the Grand Marais High School up there before they could go into the Boundary Waters on the next day. Imagine how this modern-day relativism concept of truth would play out if someone thinks that according to their version of the truth, they have the right to take your life because they don't like something that you have done or they don't like you. Or at a minimum, they have the right to steal your possessions or the right to uh, destroy your property. And you, on the other hand, think that they don't have the right to do these things, okay? Got two polarized opinions here in a relativistic culture. Who is going to be right in a society like that? See, we are seeing right now in America people on opposing sides being completely convinced that they're right, that they happen to be the sole arbiters of the truth. Os Guinness says this about America. Truth is in trouble. You want to read more about that? Read my article I wrote in the newsletter today. Truth is, he says, in any objective, absolute sense, truth that is independent of the mind of the knower no longer exist. Just three years ago, Time Magazine featured this very concept, asking the question on its front cover and devoting the issue to this inquiry. Is truth dead? And of course, this was 50 years after the iconic Time Magazine issue that raised the very first question. Is God dead? Isn't that something? 50 years apart, is God dead? 50 years later, is truth dead? Brett McCracken, referencing these two magazine covers, made the following observation. These two covers, 50 years apart, tell an important story. Without God as the ultimate standard of truth, without objective truth that is the same for everyone, all we have is truth interpreted by individuals. Both of these acclaimed authors are highlighting for us that truth is not there any longer in many American minds as something that you can learn, as something that you can go through life and acquire. In our culture, many think that truth is something that you create. But I gotta tell you, folks, the Bible says that God is truth. So it stands to reason, as our society moves further and further and further away from God, it's also doing what? It's moving further and further and further away from the truth. That's exactly what we see taking place. And, and, and the, the culture is spelling that out for us right now. But none of this changes who God is. God is the embodiment of truth. When Jesus incarnate, the Son of God, came to earth, it says of him in John chapter 1, verse 14, that he is full of grace and truth. You know, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are the origin and proclaimers of the truth. Isaiah 65, verse 16 says, whoever invokes a blessing in the land will do so by the one true God. In other words, in the Hebrew language, it's the God of truth. You're gonna invoke this blessing, it's the God of truth. 
And it goes on to say, whoever takes an oath in the land will swear by the one true God. In other words, meaning the God of truth. In 1 John 5, verse 6, it is the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is truth. God is truth. And this God who's truth is a personal God. You know the verse. Jesus said it. John 14, 6. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. See, truth is not some system to be adhered to or some philosophy to be followed. It is an eternally existing being. It's God. And if you want to know the truth of God, you must come to faith in God through Jesus Christ because God is truth. See, truth isn't some nebulous, flexible, theoretical concept that's open to re-evaluation or redefinition. Truth resides in God. Again, verse 14, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Stand firm. And yeah, it does seem strange that the belt would be recognized a first part of the Roman soldier's armor since technically it wasn't considered a piece of armor at all. However, its presence had a central function that was so vital to a soldier's armor and weapons. They wore this metal torso uh, armor on their top, but they had loops that were attached to that that would be attached to the belt. So it would hold that torso armor down so it wouldn't ride up on you uh, in in the heat of battle. They also had protective leather straps that went all around the thighs, the groin area, the the glute area, and there was sometimes metal sheathing over the top of that, which weighted it down this way too, but it helped protect, uh, but allowed for movement like that as well. And then they could also take their tunic underneath, their undergarment, and pull it up and tuck it into their belt, kind of uh, like a giant diaper, if you will. Uh, It kind of depends, I guess, but... uh. (laughs) Well, that didn't come out right. But they would tuck it in for mobility and, you know, to be able to fight in quick movements for battle and for reorganizing or even for retreat. And then a sword hung also from the belt and then a rope on there. And they had their ration sack and their money sack. Sometimes they even had darts on there. And those that you, you would use chariots or had other functions in the military also sometimes would have a whip that would be on their leather belt. Everything was right there. The belt also was made of leather, and it was often stout and six inches. It was thick and six inches wide, very solid. And everything they needed for combat was right there. It's kind of like a carpenter's tool belt. The carpenter has everything they need for the job. They've got their hammer. They've got their tape measure. They have their nails, their screws, their square, their string line, their plumb bob. They might even have a small keyhole saw, especially if they're doing any kind of sheetrock work, uh, have a pencil in there, or like a police officer's utility belt. They'll have handcuffs and tasers and pepper spray, flashlight, radio, handgun, extra ammunition, keys, donut holder. No, I mean, not, there's no donut holder. Uh, don't worry, pastors probably eat more donuts than police officers do anyway. But in ancient Rome, a soldier's belt held everything together and, and, and keeping the soldier prepared for anything they might face. And, you know, there's actually stories from oral history and, and, uh, and even from folklore of enemies sneaking into enemies' camps at night, the day before big attacks. And what was their thing they would do? They would sneak in and cut every belt 
that they could so that they couldn't hold their armor or get their armor on or couldn't have their weapons readily handy and they would attack, attack first thing in the morning and many times they were victorious because they were unable to fight without their weapons at hand keeping their armor in place. And do you realize in our culture there have been many criminals that have been caught stealing because they have wardrobe malfunctions? You know, they trip over their own shoelaces, their shoes come untied, or, you know, they lose a, a, a shoe along the way, or their, their pants get caught in the bike chain when they're, or their pants are falling down and they're running trying to hold their britches up with the, you know, the, the things they've stolen. That, those things happen real often. And, and here's the, the message here. You know, here's what's going on. The truth is that truth fits the Christian life. That's what it is. It fits us for the Christian life in this broken world. Listen to what Ephesians 4 verses 17 through 21 has to say here. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They're darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity. They are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in Him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. That's not how you came to Christ, and that's not how you learned to live in Christ was to live by all this sensuous stuff that's going on out there in the world. We must know the truth, and we must live by the truth. And there's something very important I want you to know here. The belt of truth that we put on is not our belt. We're putting on God's belt. That's what it is. In Isaiah chapter 11, verse 5, there happens to be a messianic passage about the, the coming king of Israel, who's the son of David. He's going to be this righteous king that's going to rule forever and ever. And it says in verse 5, righteousness will be his belt, and faithfulness will be the sash around his waist. You know, many interpreters of the Septuagint, which happens to be the first Greek translation of the Bible, just uh, not too many decades before Jesus came here to earth, they interpret this verse and understood it to be that this belt here is the belt of truthfulness. See, we put the belt we put on as a Christian is God's belt. And we're surrounding ourselves with God's truth. And why is truth so important? Again, verse 11 of chapter 6. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. You know, one of the devil's major ways of attacking Christians is through falsehood. It's through deception. He's the great deceiver. Here's how the Bible describes the devil in contrast to Jesus. It's going to tell us who the devil is, what the devil's like, and it's going to contrast it here with Jesus. This is found in John chapter 8, and I'm going to be reading verses 42 through 45. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you're unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. For there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not 
believe me. Satan is a liar, and he's the father of lies. His goal is to get people to believe that what is actually false is somehow true. Does that ring a bell with us? Something that's actually false is somehow true? We need to stand and speak the truth. We need to know the truth. We need to live in the truth. And we do that, uh, when we do that, we're never speaking or acting from our own resources. We're speaking and living from God's resources, revealed to us by the Holy Spirit through God's Word, the Bible. Now, speaking the truth isn't always comfortable, but it is always right. Do you remember? Remember this today, that all truth is God's truth. In any field of life, all truth, is God's truth. And when we speak the truth, we're to do it how? Like we heard in our scripture reading earlier today, Ephesians 4.15. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. You know, when people believe the lies of the devil, they're no longer standing in the truth. And pretty soon, it becomes pretty easy for them to start telling little lies. That becomes acceptable. Then all of a sudden on that road, you know, abusive behavior, manipulative behavior, those things become okay. Before you know it, there's full-fledged self-centeredness and cheating and all kinds of aggressive behaviors and even pornography, and fornication, and outright anger and cheating and other things that could go on and on and on. The starting point of our Christian armor is to surround ourselves with God's belt, the belt of truth. And we're to surround ourselves with it because one of Satan's great deceptions of this world is to say there is no truth. And this is precisely what he did to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Did God really say, did did God really say that you couldn't eat from every tree in the garden? In other words, he was saying this right from the beginning to humankind, right from the get-go, is that really true? Is it really true? You know, one little lie was all it took to destroy the future of mankind and create this broken, fallen, chaotic world of sin and death. God is truth, and we must seek God. We must seek the truth. We must study the truth. We must know God's word so that when we hear deception and when we see deception, we will know that's exactly what it is, that it's deception. You know, in our Federal Reserve, that the best detectors of counterfeit money don't really spend a lot of time studying counterfeit money. You know what they spend their time studying? The real thing. They study real money. And so immediately when they touch or feel or look at something that's counterfeit or something's out of place or something's missing or something's slightly different, they can tell counterfeit money at that moment. You know the terrible tragedy of everything that's going on in our nation that was triggered by the horrific death of George Floyd? It started, the police call came in because he was passing counterfeit money in the store. And somebody caught it who was picking, you know, who deals with cash every day and and knew that wasn't right and called the police. We are to know the truth. We are to submit to it. We're to speak it and sometimes even speak it boldly, but always do it lovingly. We must live our lives in the truth of God. You know, in Jesus' high priestly prayer in John chapter 17, Uh, It tells us there, this is before, of course, Jesus' arrest, before any of the trials, before the flogging and the crucifixion and the resurrection. Here's what we read in chapter 17, verses 14 through 18 of Jesus' prayer. I have given them your word, 
and the world has hated them. For they're not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. He's asking God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, the Godhead, to protect us, his followers, his children, from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify them by it. Through your word, it's truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. You know, in the late 1970s and into the early 1980s, an IRS officer named John Sislogi became convinced that taxpayers were inflating the number of their dependents on their tax returns. But no one on Capitol Hill would even listen to him until 1984. And then it wasn't until 1986 that they passed a law that people had to put the Social Security number of their dependents on any tax returns that were filed in the United States of America. And you know, an amazing thing happened in 1987 when people filed their tax returns. In one single year, seven million dependents just disappeared in America. Seven million of them. Basically, people lie because they can. And they get all kinds of help in our culture to do that. In fact, lies are often embraced and they're put out there on all kinds of media mechanisms and the news and all that. That just gets put out there. And people can lie because they get all kinds of help. And they get all kinds of encouragement as well from the evil one, the devil himself, and all of his uh, uh, helpers. But this is the exact opposite conduct of a soldier in the army of God. In John 8, 31 and 32, Jesus said, if you, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. My encouragement for you today is to stand firm with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Let's pray together. God, our Father, today as we continue in this series, Overcoming the World, it's with this knowledge of how important truth is from the very onset. Even though it technically wasn't part of the armor of a Roman soldier back then, everything that they put on from that point on, everything was contingent upon the truth. And God, we recognize that in the, in the ministry of your church, in the work of uh, your servants in your kingdom, that truth is foundational to everything that we do. And God, we recognize too that the evil one wants to do nothing more than distort the truth or get us to accept things that are false. I pray, God, that we will stand firm against that, that we will envelop ourselves with the truth of God. We'll get to know it. We'll get to know your word so that, God, we can sense deception uh, when we hear it and we see it. And God, help us to live into this uh, as, as your children in this broken and fallen world. We pray this now in Jesus' name.